Hi, everyone, and welcome to About on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our first book club episode of the year, and it's for The Villa by Rachel Hawkins, a book that both Becca and I loved. Is it just me? I feel like this is a book club that is getting more engagement than normal. Yes, I think people are really enjoying this book. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting tagged in more stuff. I'm seeing so many people who are listeners who I'm friends with on Goodreads post that they're reading the book. Like, I, I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Should we get into some highs and lows? Yeah, we should. Tell me about your high, your very exciting high. I actually have three highs, and they are oh, wow. <laughs> of varying magnitudes. Oh, okay. Are we starting with the biggest high and working to the littlest, or are we starting with the littlest and working to the biggest? I guess let's start with the biggest, but I think the the two biggest are they're tied. Okay. Okay. So the first thing is I started book two this week. I have big first day of school energy, like new project energy. I'm I was telling Olivia before we started, I'm like, it's a pile of dog crap. I feel pretty okay about it. Like I'm just like, yeah, we're just figuring it out. We're writing. Like I've heard a lot of metaphors of like, it's a wedding cake and this is just the base layer. Like it's a skeleton and then the organs and muscle and (laughs) skin. So, you know, it's just, I'm like, I'm not. (laughs) I like the cake one better, I think. Yeah, probably. So I'm like, we're just going with it. And I feel good so far. We'll see if that changes in a week or two, but. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Second one, I got to sign my book contract this morning. Oh, that's exciting. Which I'm so excited about. I felt very official to sign my name on the dotted line. Congratulations again. Thank you. That also means I got paid, which I'm very excited about because I haven't really had any income since October. (laughs) So I have a question. Do you have a a signature you can read? Like if someone were to look at your signature, would they be like, that says Becca Freeman? Or is it just kind of like a letter and then squiggles? That's an interesting question. I feel like I need to reinvent a signature for before the launch of my book Mm. to have like how I'm going to sign things. In real life, interestingly, you could read Rebecca. You could read the first half of my signature, but then Freeman is just like an F and a scribble. Mm. So... Yeah, I'm going to figure out a new signature. This is for when I steal your identity, to be clear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'll sign your book, and then you can just, like, you can practice, too. Perfect. Yeah, so I I signed my book contract, which I'm really excited about. Then the third thing, which is on a very different level, I rediscovered Eggo Waffles. Wow. Is that on a different level? I I mean, I would argue that I've never had one recently. Oh, me either. As I was saying that, I was like, well, I probably have when I was a kid, but like definitely not in the past 20 years, probably. So a couple of weeks ago, I was watching Ginny and Georgia, and they're eating so many Eggos in that show. There's so many breakfast scenes, and the little boy kid is just always eating Eggos. And I had such a craving, and I went out one night. It was 8 p.m. on a Sunday, just needed to find myself some Eggos. And I bought a box, and there's 12 in there. And I just had an ego before we started recording. It's great. It's easy. Just plain, just raw. Well, no, raw I mean, you, you toast it and then you or... put a little butter on it and then syrup. Okay. Well, some people, I just eat them plain. No, no. I, I think they do. I think there's someone out there who does. I'm sure there is, but they're wrong. <laughs> okay. That's exciting. A lot of joy. I hadn't had an ego in probably 30 years. No, 20, 25 years. Hmm. They're frozen, right? And you just put them in the toaster. Yeah. 
Hmm. Well, good for you. Thank you. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Maybe I'll try some. Why not? A little nostalgia. Absolutely. Tell me your high. Uh, my high is we had our first, I was about to say our first sleepover in the new house, but I guess that's the right word for it. But we had our first weekend there, slept there. It started out a little rough. We had an air mattress. Well, I did. It's a full. So Jake said he'd sleep in his sleeping bag on the floor and I would get the air mattress. However, that backfired because I woke up and it took me forever to get to sleep because like every noise I was just like tuned in. Mm. I woke up and I was just on the ground, but then there's a little air left in it. So I was kind of like, it was like I was in a taco, but Mm. I was on the floor and the, the air mattress had wrapped itself around me deeply unpleasant. So I was just a little tired and like freaked out. And the first day, everything kind of feels like not yours. Like it feels dirty and like kind of gross. And like you're just in this random house. But then by the second day after we had cleaned for like 10 hours and like made some like little tiny changes, I was just, okay, this feels so right. Like this is the right place. I love this. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to just be here all the time doing stuff. Um, and like, I'm just really happy. So yeah, that's my high. I loved the little house tour that you, you posted. I'm excited to see the upstairs. You didn't post the upstairs, right? Uh, no, but I, I probably will this weekend cause we're going oh, back I'm one excited. more time before we move next week. But yeah, stay tuned. Not to rub salt in the wound or to like bring up triggering subjects, but where did you net out on, do you think your house is haunted? Oh, um, so I don't know if it's haunted or not, but I wasn't scared at any point. Oh, okay. Point. So those weren't the noises. It was non-ghost No, it was, it was the radiator kicking yeah. on every hour we learned eventually. But no, I, I would kind of like just walk around the different rooms and I'd be like, do I feel like worried right now? Do I feel scared? But most of the time I just felt really content. I was like, this is the right place and I feel happy to be here. But I will say it is so dark and so quiet at night that it is really strange. Okay. So maybe serial killers, not ghosts. Great. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> maybe that. Okay. Um, so that is unsettling, but we put a security system in, we put like motion sensor lights. So I feel pretty, pretty good. Pretty okay. good about that. What's your, low? you should get a bing bong. I don't know what the technical what? term is. What is a bing bong? <laughs> it's it's like why does this feel related to the waffle? I know it's not. It's not. It's, just- <laughs> it's not. I my my friends have it, and anytime you open the front door, it just goes bing bong. Oh yeah, we have that. Oh great, it's part of the security system. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, so then you know if somebody has come in. Exactly. You're not yes. like, did I hear a creak? You're like, it's very clear what the noise is when someone comes in. Yeah, we have glass break, motion sensor, probably completely unnecessary because we're in the middle of nowhere. But you know. I have anxiety, so simply safe. Sponsor us. We're available. Anyway, what's your low? Um, my low, it's not a real low. I got more edits back on my first book. I feel like this is just a cosmic boomerang that I keep throwing out into the universe. And I'm like, here you go. And then it just flies back at me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm grateful for them because on the one hand, I want the book to be as good as it can be. And I fully lost perspective, so I'm not offended at all by kind of these comments Mm -hmm. coming back. I'm like, sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You have fresher eyes than I do. But I just, I want my gold star. I want to be done. Yeah. So it's slightly 
I don't know if it's demoralizing, but it's just, it's a rock in my shoe. Yeah. Do you think this is it? Or have you just like kind of stopped being like, I I know when it's done? No, I think this is it. I think this is it. I mean, there's still copy edits after this. So, you know, things can still change a little bit and somebody will have to teach me how to use a comma. Um, But that's (laughs) above my pay grade. I'm sure you know. No, I really, I really don't think I do. Oh, gosh. My thing would be, it would be M dashes. Like, I just love an M dash. Oh, I like an M dash too, but I don't, I don't, I know when to use them. I abuse them. Yeah. Um, It's a problem. Yeah. What's your low? My low is really sad, actually. I mean, I guess it's kind of bittersweet, but so this coming week is my last session with my therapist that I've had here for two years. Why? Um, Because she's not licensed in New York. Oh, no. At least, at least not yet. She might in the future. So we might kind of pick back up. But I, yeah. So I've talked about this a little bit, but when I like the realization hit me that moving to a different state meant leaving Philly, I realized that sounds totally insane, but I was so, so emotional. I cried for a week straight because I just, this is just a, like Philly is a place that I just always felt very safe and very much like myself. And I just really came into myself as a person. And so to like throw that really safe, happy place out the window for something new is terrifying. And um, on top of that, when I, (laughs) you know, talked to my therapist and she's like, yeah, and that means that this would change our working relationship together. I was like, what? (laughs) And that hit me too. And I just lost it. But that was a couple months ago now. And anyway, long story short, I think I'm ready to like be on my own for a little bit. But you know, if you're a therapist, you you don't know how much that time and space and work means to people. Yeah. So I think I'm in the best place possible to sort of take a break from therapy for now. And I feel really confident and like empowered to go on this new, slightly terrifying journey. But um, sad. Yeah. I really value our time together. So that's such a bummer. Yeah, it is. It is. But it's the best. If it had to happen, it's the best situation possible. So I feel prepared to go out emotionally (laughs) into the unknown. All right. Well, before we get into the book club portion of the book club episode, let's take an ad break. You've been hearing Becca and I sing the praises of prose for a long time now. And one thing I have to say that I really love about my prose products in particular is that they are so consistently good. And as someone who's about to move into a house with a, we'll just say a not so ideal bathroom, the fact that my pro shampoo and conditioner makes every shower and hair washing experience feel like I'm going to the spa is ideal. It brings me just a little bit of happiness and consistency, even when my schedule and life is totally crazy like it is right now. I 100% agree that pros has been consistently effective in making my hair shinier, stronger, and softer over time. Like I think just as my pre-pros hair grows out and it's all only pros hair, if that makes sense. (laughs) I've been using it for three years. My hair is just so much healthier. It's fundamentally different. And I guess it's not shocking given how precise their in-depth hair quiz is. Pros is given more than 1 million consultations. Their quiz asks you questions about everything from your eating habits to your hair damage level. And this is exactly what allows pros to figure out the perfect products for your individual hair goals. 
They also make it so easy to switch up your formula if you or your lifestyle changes. Since I'm moving to an environment that's slightly colder and drier than Philly, I fully plan on tweaking the formulas in my next order to make sure my shampoo and conditioner are as hydrating as possible. Pros is the healthy hair care regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash B-O-P. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Let us get into this book club. Yes, I'm really excited. You wrote this summary. So would you like to do the honors of giving us just the quick rundown of what this book is about? Sure. So Emily is a moderately successful author of Cozy Mysteries who is dealing with a nasty case of writer's block when her lifelong friend Chess invites her to an all-expense-paid vacation in a gorgeous Italian villa. Chess is also a writer, but in the self-help genre and has reached massive success and wealth thanks to her book, Things My Mama Never Taught Me. Dealing with a divorce and a chronic illness that has only recently resolved itself, Emily thinks that the trip could be the perfect inspiration for a fresh start and a new book. As it turns out, though, the villa is not only a gorgeous place to relax, but also the scene of an infamous 1970s murder. The story jumps back and forth from present day to that 1970s summer where we meet rock stars Noel Gordon and Pierce Sheldon and stepsisters Mary and Lara, both of whom are romantically entangled with the musicians in the house. As Mary spends the summer writing a horror novel called Lilith Rising that one day becomes famous and Lara writes music that will eventually make up the best-selling album Aestis, love triangles, deception, and eventually murder ensue. And the present day... Emily and Chess follow a similar path, all while making connections and discoveries about what really happened in the villa during that 1970s summer. And that honestly does not cover everything. There is so much. So what did you think about this book, Becca? I loved it. I really like Rachel Hawkins in general. I've read a bunch of her books. I really liked her previous book, Reckless Girls. I also, she did a Royals kind of, I guess it might be YA series a while ago that I really liked. Like I just, I like, I I feel like her writing is very attention grabbing. Like you just get sucked in from the very beginning. And I feel like this, there had to be some element of luck with this book, but I feel like she just really hit the zeitgeist with White Lotus season two having just ended before this book came out that I feel like she just hit the cultural jackpot in terms of timing. And there was just something so delicious, even just hearing the pitch for the book of it's about some writers who go on a fancy pants vacation to Italy and like it coincides with a murderer in the 70s. I'm, I was like, oh, perfect. I yeah. love, love. I, I loved it too. Tell me, tell me your thoughts about the book. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry I'm I, like, was, I thought. <laughs> I don't know what I'm, I'm just like frothing at the mouth to like, tell people how much I like this book. Uh, Yeah, I also, I feel pretty much exactly the same way. I, you know how you were saying, like, I don't know what is in Emily in Paris that makes it so, like, impossible to stop watching. That is how I feel about Rachel Hawkins' writing. The pacing, there just must be something in the way that she writes that I just could not put this down. Like, I literally read it cover to cover in one sitting in the middle of the night, no stopping, no pausing. And it was just a really pleasant experience. You want to know something shocking too? 
I don't know, shocking yeah. might be overplaying it a bit, but I was really struck by the audiobook is only, I think it's like seven hours and 45 minutes. It's, a, it's really short as far as audiobooks are concerned. And it's not like the person's speaking super quickly and that's what makes it fast. And I was just really impressed by how fully she told the story. I don't know what the word count is on the book. I don't think there's a way to be able to see that. But I was like, wow, like what a masterclass. With so many characters, so many characters, two different timelines, two different like generations, basically. Yeah. And I didn't feel like anything was underdeveloped, any of the characters. No, no. I thought it was really well balanced from start to finish. Yeah. You don't usually like thrillers. So what do you think it was about this one that, I mean, I don't even know if I would call it a thriller, but it is a thriller. It has the same sort of suspense. I don't think it's a thriller. Is it shelved as a th- thriller, technically? Maybe. I, so the the ad copy, because we we did do, coincidentally, some ads for this, said gothic suspense. And so I think, you know, a thriller is really, I think, defined by the pace and the twists and turns and, like, the reader being scared versus this felt like it was leading to something, but I it didn't feel... It didn't feel like jump scary to me. It was murdery, but you knew that there was going to be a murder. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it didn't feel too scary to me. See, I like a thriller. I think what a thriller does really well is how it grips you in the pace. But I don't like being put in a situation where then I become scared and ruminate on this in my own life. So I don't like anything that has to do with stalking. I don't like anything that has to do with like random chance murder or or something like that versus if I can separate myself from it enough, which obviously I am not a 70s rock star, sadly. (laughs) I Like this, this doesn't give me the heebie-jeebies, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. It does. It was definitely a different type of book. And it wasn't scary. No, I think it was, I actually kind of found it more funny than <laughs> scary. I don't know if I found it funny. I think the thing that I really liked about it as somebody who is not, this it isn't generally my genre, is I think that I really liked the setting, the sense of place. Like it had a really strong sense of place. It was set in an interesting place that wasn't somewhere that, you know, it wasn't London. It wasn't New York City. It was somewhere a little bit escapist. And her last book was like that too. It was on a a deserted island. And so I really like that. I think the sense of setting was really different and nice for me. Yeah. I liked that too. I guess the funny part was just, I could not get enough of like the self-help. Oh my God. Genre stuff and all the ways it connected to like actual self-help authors and particularly Rachel Hollis, which I guess we could, I guess we could get into now. I don't know. Are you familiar with Rachel Hollis? Not enough to talk about it. Like I'm, I'm aware of her book. I'm aware that there were some scandals about plagiarism maybe, or there was a few. She compared herself to Harriet Tubman. Oh, um, and then her and her husband were like selling marriage courses and then like got divorced like a week later or something. Multiple things. There was no plagiarism thing? There, there may have been. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of different ones. If you are interested, please listen to the maintenance phase episodes about Rachel Hollis because it is like a deep dive and there is so much. And you will you will see how I would be shocked if chess is not 
based on Rachel Hollis. I mean, the title of her book, Rachel Hollis's famous book, is Girl, Wash Your Face, which has a very similar tone. She has like that sort of Southern feel to her. I forget where she's from exactly, but I just could not get enough of the parallels. Like it was so, it just made me like giddy. (laughs) Well, I, so what I thought was so interesting was thinking about knowing that type of self-help guru before they became a self-help guru and just knowing their whole story and kind of how they retold it or embellished it or what they were really like and also what they were like off-duty where it seemed like, you know, Chess was definitely not super empowered or living up to her book's mantras outside of the public eye. Or, you know, like there's certain places in the book where she's like lobbing her own platitudes and advice at Emily. Like I just, I thought it was so interesting to be like, hey, what would it be like to be best friends with a self-help guru? Because like I'd never thought about it and that's just, oh, of course it's such an eye roll. Yeah. And you like know all the darkest things about this person who's telling people how to like what is it? The powered path. I think that was her yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. which also made me laugh. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I can, I mean, I just, I loved the ways that it just kind of highlighted that, that whole wellness guru space is like literally just people talking out of their ass. Well, I think <laughs> that's all it is. I think, you know, when it's repackaged for public consumption, it reads as inspiring. So like, I'm thinking like a Glennon Doyle, I'm thinking like a, Uh, Gabby Bernstein type person who, you know, talks about this period when they were a mess and then how they learned from that experience and became this person. But if you lived through them, them being that mess and then they were like, I'd like to give you some advice, you would be like, right, stay the fuck away from me. Like, I have watched you do all this dumb stuff. Oh, I just imagine having a real negative reaction to that person trying to give me advice. That's interesting. I, I could see that, I guess. Did you like Emily as a character? Well, first of all, did you like either of them? Did you like Chess or Emily? Did you relate to either of them? So I I liked Chess because I thought she was so interesting and she was such a narcissistic character that she was just she was such an interesting character. Like I loved whenever she was on the page. Me too. When she was off in, in the city getting groceries and Emily was at home in the present, I was like, oh, bring Chess back. <laughs> so like I loved Chess. Do I relate to her? Do I want to be like her? Absolutely not. But I loved her as a character. And then Emily, like, no, I didn't like her. She was kind of a sad sack. And maybe that's by design that you're, like, not that sad of all the things that happened to her. Like, she definitely has softness and vulnerability. So you understand how she got to this place. And you also feel sorry for her that, you know, she had this chronic illness her husband left her like, yeah, she's been dealt a shit hand, but like she's not like a good time character. Right. Right. I wasn't like, yes. I hope you, I hope you, she didn't feel like the hero of the story to me. Who did? Chess. Oh, that's interesting. I guess Chess we'll get and into Mary. the, we'll get into the interpretations of the ending then. <laughs> I didn't like either of them. I enjoyed reading Chess more probably than Emily, but um, I also just like love reading books about writers. I, oh, you I find do? I yes, I like fiction about writers. Just I find it very soothing to read about someone's writing process or like I love the scenes where Chess was writing and Emily was like struggling to write. I don't know. It just all felt very real and I enjoyed it, probably because I enjoy writing. But 
Yeah, I guess I don't love books about yeah. writers. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel Why like Why not? I feel like the writing process is always really bastardized and sim- oversimplified for the sake of storytelling. I feel like somebody's always like I I need to finish a book in two weeks and then manage to do it. And like, I'm just like, oh, this is so unrealistic. And, you know, like the. Do you think it was oversimplified here? Kind of. Kind of. It seems like she tapped into like a wellspring of creative motivation. And so she was, you know, like riding that high. But, you know, like, I, like in Book Lovers by Emily Henry, she's like super late on a deadline. She needs to like finish a whole book in a summer, which I guess one could do, but I can't imagine it would be like very good. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's not my favorite to read about writers. Yeah. It's not that I won't pick up a book if it's about a writer, obviously. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I I mean, I liked it. I usually like it. And I think there were parts of Chess and Emily that I like saw in, I mean, probably any person could see in themselves, I guess. I And I, uh, I liked that too. Should we take a little ad break before we go on? Let's. <laughs> So if you're in search of a very random but very effective way to boost your confidence, I would highly suggest that you make some doctor's appointments. And this might sound strange, but I am telling you that finally scheduling that yearly physical or skin check that you've been putting off will make you feel so good afterwards. And this process is easier than ever thanks to ZocDoc. Thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc are there to help you and they listen like a friend, giving you the expert care you need. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them and treat almost every condition under the sun. This is particularly helpful if you are like me and your insurance isn't great, to put it lightly. You can choose from thousands of patient-reviewed doctors and specialists, browse doctor profiles, upload and verify your insurance information, and get the care you need. It's a new year, and if you're anything like me, then you're starting 2023 with a renewed energy for taking care of yourself and just making your life easier overall. Going to regular doctor's appointments and checkups can absolutely make that happen, and ZocDoc is the thing that helps me get there personally. No awkward phone calls required to make those appointments that I know are going to make me feel so good and calm afterwards. Go to ZocDoc.com BOP and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash B-O-P. ZocDoc.com slash B-O-P. Okay, so I think it was you that I first heard say that this book was pitched as inspired by Frankenstein, which I never really got. But then you sent me this article from The Sun, which I'll let you tell all the listeners about. And my mind was blown because suddenly it made sense. Yeah. Tell us. Well, tell us the juicy orgy story. Oh, yeah. So I I only learned that it was inspired by Frankenstein because of the ad copy that was sent to us that said that. And I hadn't really given it a lot of thought, but then I read somewhere else in another book or saw an article somewhere that Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, was 18 when she wrote it. And I was like, what? I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like that 1800s type photography in black and white, everyone looks 40. And, yeah. you know, I'm just like, yep, <laughs> some 
some middle-aged woman who was like didn't have any rights and was just like up in an attic writing her writing her yep, masterwork. That's definitely the image I had totally. down to the attic. Yeah. Totally. And so anyway, I especially when I re-listened to this book to get ready for the episode, I was really interested in the Frankenstein piece. And I just I happened to Google Mary Shelley Frankenstein 18 or something, you know, something along those lines. And it brought up this article from The Sun. And we'll we can link it in the show notes. And I think that this was inspired by there's a Dakota Fanning starred in some kind of, I don't know if it's a movie or a miniseries where she played Mary Shelley. And it was just going into like the wild history. The title of this article is Tangled Limbs of a Classic, How Opium-Fueled Orgies and Lightning Gave Birth to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it goes into it, and it seems like the past timeline was lifted basically verbatim from the origin story of Frankenstein and modernized. So, you know, there's definitely creativity in it. it. I don't know what source material is available. Like, it feels like there is some level of creativity in it, but like the people and the storylines of like the fact that Mary Shelley was dating a married man who she got together with when she was 16 and her sister also slept with him. And then she also slept with uh, Lord Byron, who was like the Noel Gordon character in this. Like it blew my mind. Blew and my then, mind. Of course, the names. I mean, Mary, oh, yeah, the names. and then her, uh, her. St- stepsister who's also pregnant claire like laura i mean you can see so it's very direct i but i didn't see it at all at first obviously i've never heard the story yeah and then uh, lord byron had a, a personal doctor named john polidori yeah so it seems like it was like completely lifted and it's like it's almost one of those cases where real life is stranger than fiction yeah like, it feels made up. Because, yeah. Maybe that's part of... When I read the book, I was like, I don't know how you write this. Like, that, there's there's so much... I feel like you almost have to start with that little kernel of, like, inspiration from real life. Because, I mean, to write one of those timelines is one thing. To write both and just have them come from nothing is... I mean, people do it, of course. But I just was like, I... It, it was... It blew my mind. There were also a lot of things in the past timeline that were giving me the ick. Like, the fact that... Mary had gotten together with this married man when she was 16. The fact that her sister had slept with him, but they were still, everyone was copacetic, didn't really seem like a huge deal. Like so much about like like the suicide of Pierce's wife, like so much of it just kind of gave me the ick where I was like, oh, these people are terrible. Yeah. And also when Mary has the threesome with Noel and Pierce, despite the fact that like Noel is maybe with her sister, like the whole thing just gave me the <laughs> ick. And like finding out that all of this was not made up, like this is history was wild. Yeah. Because those are all, those are all true life facets of Mary Shelley's life. Obviously yeah. a different time. So, you know, I don't think that there makes were, it crazier. <laughs> well, I don't think there were laws around age of consent or anything. So like maybe it's like mm-hmm. slightly less taboo in 1816 to be dating a 16-year-old than it is in present but day? threesomes? I have no idea. I feel idea. like 1970s are like orgies. Yeah. Naturally. But 1816? Yeah. I mean, get it, I guess. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, this this made me like the book even more when I realized how much it was true history. Does this make you like it more or less? 
Um, I think it it made me like it more because especially finding out about it afterwards because I like enjoyed the whole story and it of its own merit and I wasn't thinking about the history of it. And then it was like a fun little like not Easter egg, but mm-hmm. like a fun little surprise. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I love historical details and tie-ins like that. So yeah, I thought it was I thought it was cool. Yeah. How did you feel about the two timelines? Were you did you prefer one over the other? I I think the modern day one I I loved much more. And that kind of I don't know, that surprised me a little bit. I'm generally not that interested in the 70s, I should say, but I I don't know. I I think I just loved the the chess background. I loved the self-help thing. I loved it all. So I was always like eager to get back to those pages, but I I didn't find myself like wanting to skip over the 70s stuff either necessarily. Uh how about you? No, I agree with you. I liked the present timeline a lot. Like I was definitely flipping the pages to get to more of the present timeline. The past timeline It is an era of history I really like. Like, for instance, Jane Green's most recent book, Sister Stardust, is kind of similar. I think it's maybe set in the 60s, not the 70s. And it's about Talitha Getty, and they're in Morocco in a similar vacation house where it's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that one just felt like a little more energetic. The past timeline in this book feels a little sedate. Like, there's a lot of sitting around and brooding Mm -hmm. and hurt feelings. And, like, it was... It was so interesting because it was what informed the present timeline and how it all came together was really interesting. But I felt like it was a little like the past timeline was a little dowdy. Yeah, I get that. But we have a listener voicemail who completely disagrees with us and preferred the 70s timeline. So let's listen to that. Hey, Becca and Olivia. Talking about the villa for your book club. First of all, spot on description. So kudos there. Thank you for aptly describing that. I loved the 1974 parts. So interesting. The characters were great. And the present day version, it was fine. I think I liked it a little bit less. However, I just thought the ending was maybe a bit far-fetched. I don't know if far-fetched is the right term, but did the punishment fit the crime? <laughs> did they need to kill the husband in order to write the book together and all of that? I don't know. I'd be interested in your thoughts. I didn't know if it was absolutely necessary and it felt a bit dramatic at the end, but that was just my take. Anyway, love the book. Bye. And We definitely need to talk about the ending and her comments on the ending, but let's take a quick ad break first. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As I was talking about at the beginning of this episode, I am approaching my very last session or last for now session with my therapist of two years as Jake and I moved to another state. And while it's incredibly sad, it's also a really good opportunity for me to reflect on just how much therapy has empowered me and helped me trust myself. I am moving on to this new chapter of life, and I'm a little scared, but also totally confident that I can handle it. And even better, I know that I deserve it. That to me is exactly what it means to live my best life. And if you're looking to feel more confident, empowered, and at peace as well, finding a therapist you love can help get you there. And BetterHelp makes the process of finding a therapist so much easier than having to Google and cold call therapists until you find the right person. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
I think that there's a common misconception that when you go to therapy, you bring your problems and your therapist gives you the solutions, but life is not really like that. And neither is therapy. And not everything has an easy fix. Instead, therapy has given me the confidence to know that I can self-regulate and move through the highs and lows of life easily. I know I won't always have the perfect solution to every problem I encounter, but I do know that I am confident, capable, and I can get through all of it. And that sounds small, but it changes everything. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad on paper today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bad on paper. We got to talk, talk about, about this. Again. <laughs> we got it. I have, I have so many, so many thoughts. This ending kind of sent me through a loop, not while I read it, but afterwards. <laughs> It happened really fast, too. Like, I feel like a lot of new things came into play in the last 25% of the book. Yes. Yes. It's there was a lot there. As I was telling Becca before we started recording this, like having to write the summary I for this, I was like, wait, there was this and then there was this. And should I include this? But also this. And it was just it's a lot. And the ending kind of has all of it. Well, let's start with the question from the previous listener voicemail, which was like, do you think it was necessary did they need to kill the husband? I, I I feel that. Like, for the spectacle of the book, it was necessary. Like, yes, like, I, I liked the symmetry with the previous plot line, and, like, I get all that. But at one point, I, like, I, this is, I'm going to paraphrase badly, but at one point, Emily says, like, right after she finds out that Chess has had an affair with her husband, she says something like, I wonder if she's going to put it together on her own or if I'll have to tell her because there's only one answer. And like the answer is to kill him. And I'm like, really? That's the only answer? That's I just re-listened to this part. Yeah. I I have to say that like, I love this book. The one thing I was not buying, was not okay with, did not make sense to me. There is no universe no matter what kind of conclusion I come to where my best lifelong friend or or oldest friend sleeps with my husband, even just once. And I'm like, but you know, it's more pleasant if I just choose to believe that it's all working together for the good. (laughs) Like, no, I would burn everything down, including, but not limited to myself, like my career, my home. I would just do it all. Your lifelong friend sleeps with Jake. And then you decide that the obvious answer is to kill Jake. Yeah, and I that I I didn't that didn't make everything else I kind of got, but that I no no I it didn't make I, sense. I think it has to happen for this book to be like thriller adjacent. Yeah, and I think it has to happen for the the present timeline to mirror the past. And I I feel like I've heard on. I don't know, writing podcasts or places where it's like every book can have like one thing that you kind of have to suspend your disbelief around or that is like overly coincidental to make the plot happen. But like you only get one. And I kind of felt like when I first read the book and like wasn't thinking super critically about it, was just gulping it down and enjoying it. I was like, I can get over this. Sure. Mm -hmm. You killed him. Great. It didn't bother me in any way that ruined the book for me or made me want to stop reading. No, me either. When I listened to it back the second time, I was kind of like, huh, that's interesting. Right. <laughs> but I, I wasn't, it didn't ruin it for me. No. But 
I want to hear what your theory is or like how you understood the ending. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm like kind of self-conscious about this because I remember when Grace and I talked about Verity, we like, I can't remember how, but but like we completely missed something and like misread it. And every all the listeners were like, how did you not think XYZ? So now I'm like very self-conscious about like, did I get this right? So I want to hear yours. Okay. So I had a very confusing experience with this ending because I read the whole book. I read it kind of in a bubble. You hadn't read it. Like I hadn't talked to anyone about it. I read it. I enjoyed it. It was over. Then my friend read it and she messaged me and she was like, oh, well, you know, but there's also this theory about the ending. And then she sent me this Goodreads review, which kind of mirrors the listener voicemail, which we complain in a minute about how basically Chess and her husband were poisoning Emily the whole time. And I was confused because I was like, wait, that wasn't what happened. <laughs> like, I thought I thought it was very clear that when Chess was like, no, he wasn't making you sick. He wasn't poisoning you. It was just that the body knows <laughs> Like, I thought it was so clear that, like, she was just using her self-help manipulative bullshit to, like, get what she wanted in this, which was to get the husband out of the picture. Like, she saw this way to get the husband out of the picture, to make the money on the book, to have Emily on her side so she can make this money with the book. And also the whole time, I mean... And then she made her that drink and then she got sick. Like, come on. I, I'm i just... So wait, how is this different than the Goodreads theory? It's the same, I guess. Oh, okay. But, but a lot of people think that that's not... A lot of people think that the ending is straightforward. That what happened is actually the, you know, what Chess said was real. Like, oh, it's just like that your body knows that he's a toxic person. Oh, okay. And it was very straightforward. She's like, yeah, I did sleep with him once, but you know... That doesn't matter. Like, we're here now. Let's write this book and kill him. <laughs> and I was like, no, I thought it was very obvious that, like, she's a horrible person and was playing everyone the whole time. I did not pick up on the whole thing about her name being Chess. Like, Well, the game. let's listen to the voicemail. Yes. Hi, Becca and Olivia. Longtime listener here, and I love the podcast. I wanted to share a theory I had on the villa for your book club episode. So I don't know about you both, but the entire book, I was suspicious of Chess. Even from the beginning, Emily was surprised that Chess wanted to do this for her. Matt made the weird comment on Instagram about them being besties and quotes. All along, she just seemed super fishy. Well, after finishing the book, I actually think there's a whole underlying plot with Chess. I think that she and Matt were having a real affair, and Chess was trying to find a way for Matt and Chess to be together. I think Chess planted the seed that Mac go get the good lawyers and go after Emily and her books, maybe even co-funding these with him. Chess was manipulative, and she wanted Emily to be in a vulnerable place. As part of their plotting together, Matt and Chess were probably drugging Emily, maybe even giving her something that didn't mix with alcohol, hence the consistent call-outs about what they were drinking, saying she trusted herself to drink wine again at the beginning. But in addition to wanting to be with Matt, Chess was also focused on her career. She knew she had nothing else to write about and was jealous of Emily's writing skills. So she set up the getaway on purpose, knowing that it would fuel Emily. Chess picked out Emily's room for her, pushing her towards the album, the book, the house secrets, all of that. I think Chess wanted Emily to write and wanted to take advantage of her. The wrench in Chess's plan was that when Emily called Matt, she learned that Matt wanted to go after Emily's new books, which would have hurt Chess too. Chess drugged Emily that night at the villa, too, with her special cocktail and then allowed 
chess to make up this whole story about Matt being the one to cause her to be sick. After learning about the stashed pages, it actually became her out with Matt, though, the past giving them permission to kill Matt. In the end, if you think about it, Chess gets rid of her problems with Matt, gets her book, and has Emily in her pocket, ultimately tied with her forever based on their really big secret. So that's what I think, that she was the one manipulating basically the entire present-day storyline. I mean, that's why her name is Chess, right? The only part I can't totally reconcile is where this corresponds to the diary having the false ending. Mary wanted the women to own the narrative, and she made that choice for Lara, even when Lara couldn't have input. Maybe what we are seeing is that Chess, in some way, is like Mary, owning Emily's narrative for her. Well, anyways, I'm very curious what you both think of this idea, and I can't wait to listen to the episode. Okay, so this is like such a smart and astute voicemail. I think I mostly agree. However, there's a few things that I disagree with or that don't quite add up for me. So the first thing is why was Matt poisoning Emily before they went to Italy? So I fully I fully agree mm. that Chess put something in the drink while they were in Italy that made her sick, that gave her flashbacks to manipulate her. But if Matt's whole thing before they got divorced was that he wanted a baby, he wanted them to get pregnant and have a family, why was he poisoning her? Because that coincided with like right after he announced that they were going to try for a kid and then he like accosts her, why are you still on the pill? And she says because she didn't want to dysregulate her hormones because she was already sick. That doesn't add up. I mean, I guess like we don't really need to understand his motivations and maybe it's just that he's a diabolical agent of chaos. And like, yeah. It was like a double ruse where he was like, I'm making you sick, but then I'm going to tell everyone else that we're trying for a baby so I don't look bad and I'm the good guy. Yeah. But that didn't quite add up for me. That's a good point. I just kind of assume like he's a terrible person. Anything is possible. But sure. that is a very, sure. very good, fair question that you've you've posed. And then the second thing that w- with this voicemail that I, I like don't quite see is like, I don't know if I believe that Chess masterminded taking Emily to this house and knew that she would want to write something about it. Like, there's nothing in Emily's character or in her past that she's, like, super impulsive or drawn to fits of creative inspiration. Like, she's written nine books in the same series that are all, like, cookie-cutter the same. So I don't I don't really buy that she, Chess was like, if I bring this friend here, she'll write this book about the sensational events in the 70s that I can piggyback on. So, I mean, I guess that's not, like, super important because it was brought up that they had another book idea that they had wanted to write together, the green, like, boarding school thing. So maybe she just brought her and figured she could, like, revive green and and get her that way. But I don't buy that Chess fully knew that she was bringing Emily here and Emily would start writing about the house. Well, what if she brought her there because she was going to convince her to sign the papers and then he would get all that money. And then I don't know, that would somehow benefit chess. Well, yeah, it would, would end her, her current series and then she'd have to start something new, which could be green or could be mm-hmm. something that they worked on together. So I, I think like there's nuggets of it there, but I don't think it was like, she was like, step no. one is I'm going to take her to this murder house. And step right. two is she's going to write this book that I can then like jump in on. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but I do agree. I do agree with uh, Chess obviously poisoned her. Chess obviously was like, 
well, now we'll just kill Matt and then we'll, that'll be convenient. Like, it, I do get the mastermind vibes and that she fully manipulated Emily. Yeah. Okay. Then we're on the same page. Kind of. Yeah. There's just like a few yeah. things in there that I'm like, I just like couldn't believe that there were people that didn't think that. Yeah. It's just like, how much credit does she get? And it's like, this voicemail is giving her like an 11 out of 10. And I'm like, let's give her a six. <laughs> like, okay. she benefited yeah. from some coincidences and like, was opportunistic enough to adapt her plan. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah. Did you like the ending? You know, I actually, I, just reading it straight through the the whole time with no other outside information, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then I got kind of confused because I was like, did I get something wrong? Like you kind of had that feeling like, oh, did I miss something or did I whatever? But now, um, having sort of read all of it, I love that like there are these different interpretations because that's my favorite type of ending of any kind of book where you can kind of choose what you want to believe or what you think the evidence shows or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. But how about you? Oh, I loved it. I, I really liked the symmetry with the previous timeline. I loved the dual jump forward where we got to see both sets of characters afterwards. I love that we got to see Mary and Lara kind of catch up past the house and like past their successes and that Lara was like, no, this is just like a convenient, like you don't feel guilty about this. Like, like I liked her getting some blame. I also liked her going to the house and changing what actually happened. And I think that's really interesting. It's almost like she was fucking with her legacy where, you know, she was going to be famous either way. She wrote Lilith Rising she wrote Frankenstein, basically. She wrote this cult classic book. So she was going to be remembered, but it was going to be for her work, not for her person, like her mm-hmm. personal legacy. And I thought it was really interesting that she was like, yeah, let everyone think I'm a murderer. Like, this is going to be fun. I don't know, yeah. which is such a chaotic move. Like, I think all the time I'm like, what if I died and someone found my new journal that I'm keeping? And like, <laughs> what would they think? But she's like, well, yeah, think? she's like, let him think the worst. Like, let him think I'm a murderer. What a chaos move. Yeah, I kind of like it. And I loved that Emily and Chess wrote the book. It went on to be that super smash successful. I think it was on the New York Times bestseller list for 60 weeks where I was like, all right, Colleen Hoover. <laughs> and I like that it was like golden handcuffs kind of where it was exactly what Emily wanted. She wanted this level of fame that Chess had, but then mm-hmm. it came with it came with its downsides. <laughs> sure did. Yeah, I loved the ending. Grace didn't like the ending either. I wish I had had her leave a voicemail. She didn't like the ending? No, she texted me that she didn't like the ending. Maybe I'll see if she'll come tell us why in the Facebook group on a discussion post about this. Oh, yeah, I'd be I'd be curious. I can definitely see, like, the flip side where some people might think it's, for lack of a better word, lazy to, like, just kind of leave things open to interpretation or not close every p- – plot hole, but I honestly think that's kind of impossible in most thrillers. But So we have one helpful last question and one unhelpful but chaotic last question. Oh, let's prioritize chaos. Okay. Olivia, would you stay in a murder house? Like, in this scenario, if it was like a beautiful Italian villa and like I knew there had been some famous murder, probably. Yeah, I would too. I would stay in this house. I wouldn't stay in a murder house where anything – do you want to stay in the house where there was, like, was some cult ritualistic suicide? I would be like, absolutely not. Or, you know, like, something paranormal or spooky happened, I wouldn't want to stay. But this murder, yeah, I'd stay in this house. 
Well, yeah, and that's the thing about murders like this. I'm talking about that like it's real, but it kind of gets built up as something that doesn't seem real. Like it seems kind of like movie-ish. So, I mean, that's kind of horrible, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it would bother me. Follow-up question. If you were on Airbnb and there were two villas, let's say they were next door to each other, comparable villas, but this one had a murder, but it also cost more, would you pay more to stay in the murder house? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would, I would, if they were completely the same, I would choose the one with no murder. Okay. Okay. For sure. What about you? I might pay more to stay in the murder house. It depends how much really? more. I'm not paying 2x, but yeah, I'd, I'd say to, I'd pay to stay in like the house with the interesting history. Huh. Okay. Well, like, I'm I'll talking, keep that in mind for our trip. <laughs> I'm talking. We're going to go on. 10 to 20% more. I'm not talking 50 to 100% more. But only if it was this type of murder, not like a... If it was a murder involving famous people or something that I could like read up on that wasn't too gruesome or awful. Like if somebody was like, hey, do you want to stay in... What's that show with the murderer, the Evan Peters one that just came out? Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah. Like if somebody was like, do you want to stay in Jeffrey Dahmer's house? I'd be like, no, thank you. Okay, that's good. That's good that I know that about you because I would be concerned yeah, if the like, answer was anything not. else. Like, yeah, I don't want to stay in like that type of murder house, but like this type of murder, like a murder with what a little about, glamour. Okay, what about like the Manson murders mm. house? I don't know enough about that to know. It's. I mean, it does. That's the only thing I can think to compare to this that like has a sort of like celebrity, like kind of cartoonish feel to it now, even though to be clear, it was very real and very tragic, of course, but. I can't say. I'm going to vote no for me for all murder houses. Oh, wow. Change your tune real quick. Well, no, I would. It's just like I would not seek it out. Like if I booked an Airbnb and they were like just like whatever I found out that it happened there, I don't think I'd cancel it unless it was something truly horrific. I mean, but all murders murders are horrific, you know? <laughs> so what am I saying? <laughs> no. <sighs> all right. Before we get to some end matter, do you have any book recommendations for people if they loved this book? I have two. So if you really liked the pace of it, I would highly suggest you read other Rachel Hawkins books, other Rachel Hawkins thrillers to be specific. I read The Wife Upstairs, which I think is actually based on... Isn't it a modern retelling of Jane Eyre? Yes. It's something, one of the Bronte sisters novels, (laughs) which kind of reminded me of the Frankenstein thing. So I like the kind of similarities to that. But the pacing is just incredible. Much different subject. It's more of a domestic thriller, but really loved. And the second one is Groupies by Sarah Priscus. If you're really into like the 1970s, it might be 60s, but I think it's 70s, sex, drugs, and rock and roll of it all with a little bit of murders sprinkled in, I think you would enjoy it. I'm Again, I'm not a super 1970s person, so it wasn't like my favorite book of all time. However, if you are, you would definitely like it. Okay. Do you have any? I would say if you liked the past timeline and that's what you were reading for, Sister Stardust by Jane Green is very akin to that, like rock stars behaving badly in Morocco. So I feel like it, it's more glamorous. It's more pacey. So that could be interesting for you. I also, I mean, it doesn't really hold that many similarities, but it has like a very eerie sense of place too. I loved Reckless Girls, which was her previous book, which is set on a desert island that's past Hawaii. And these two girls go on a sailing trip 
with they're commissioned by a couple to bring them there and then when we get there there's like a mega yacht and then there's this like one creepy guy who's also on the island so like interesting vacation venue eeriness similar feeling Hmm. i need to read this one this is very high on my list i really liked it i'm a rachel hawkins stan we both are i guess i guess so all right moving on to a matter what is your obsession Okay, so my obsession this week is a recipe. It is the half-baked harvest creamy white chicken chili. And I have made this recipe twice in the past month. So I feel like that's like a big, a big sign for me that it's really good. And it's really easy and it's a one-pot recipe, so it doesn't make a lot of dishes. And it's like on the medium healthy spectrum. It's not horrifically unhealthy. It does have like cream cheese in the soup, but otherwise it's like pretty good for you. I double the beans in it. Really good. Sounds very good on this cold, rainy, disgusting day. Yeah. It's a good hearty soup. Sounds delicious. Mm. What about Love you? a hearty soup. Uh, my obsession is puffer vests. Hmm. I really, I've been seeing them on people. I think they look cute. I ordered one and I really like it because like my arms feel wild and free. Where do you then, get it? On Amazon. Okay. I tried my darndest to find one on Old Navy, but they sold out every single time I looked for them. Men's puffer vests, women's puffer vests. So I found one on Amazon. Really like it. Good quality. I feel like it's going to be great for moving because it's like not too warm, but I still have like my pockets. It's kind of like utilitarian. So yeah, I'm I'm liking that trend. Yeah. I I feel like this is a necessity for someone living in like an outdoorsy rural area. Yes. Next stop. You're going to have a style renaissance. Tractor or something. (laughs) That's how that works, right? Yeah. Power vest, tractor. Yeah, obviously. It's only a matter of time. Slippery slope. (laughs) Yeah. What are you reading? So I read a few things this week. The first thing I read was All My Rage by Saba Tahir. And this is a young adult book that won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature for 2022. And when I went to the National Book Awards, her acceptance speech that she gave for this was incredible. Like I cried having no idea who she was and also not having read the book that she was getting this award for. And so it just, it really made me want to read the book. The book is crushing and heartbreaking. It's about these two Pakistani teens living somewhere in the desert in California in like a shitty town where like there's an opioid crisis and just like every terrible thing happens to these kids. And so it's really, really bleak, but it is so beautiful. Yeah, I buckle up. Like if you read this, I do highly recommend it. Five stars. Really, really good. But get some tissues and like make sure you're in the right mental space for like some really rough subject matter. Okay. Important warning. Yeah. So I read that and then I am just sucking down second chance romances as research for my second book, which is a second chance romance. So I'm just trying to like study the hallmarks of the genre, see how other people have done it. So I reread Love and Other Words by Christina Lauren. Have you read that one? Yes, I read it last year in like one sitting. (laughs) Yeah, it is my favorite of theirs. It is so good. I like was like, this is work reading, so I'm only going to do it in the afternoon, like as part of my work day. Then I like stopped working and I was like, I need to finish this tonight. So good. And then I'm currently rereading Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. Have you read that one? 
No, another one that if I ever see it in a bookstore. You must. Or if I do, I'm going to pick up and buy it. You must. of your recommendation. So I'm rereading this. This one came out in 2019, I believe. It's about these two writers, so you would like it. One is like a very highbrow, award-winning literary author, and one writes vampire novels. And they reunite. They had met as teens in D.C., and they had uh, – from they were f- – very fucked up teenagers had this like one week together and then re-meet as adults. And like, you know, she's a mom now. He's a recovering alcoholic. Like they're much more upstanding people in their adult life and they come back together. And when I read it originally, I think that I must have just flown through it because I wanted to know what happened and I was just reading for the plot. And this time I'm reading. The writing is so good. It's so funny. The writing style is like very singular. It's it's, it's unlike other books. It, it head hops too, which is usually confusing and it's not here. I am, you know, I'm reading all these books with a highlighter and tabs. There are so many tabs in this. So many tabs. Oh, did you post this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember being like, wow, wow, I really need to read this. Oh my gosh, you do. It's so good. Very dark. On on both of these two books, um, definitely look for triggers. Okay. Good to know. I mean, no. So on All My Rage and on Seven Days in June, look for triggers. I think you should be fine on Love in Other Words. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, what did you read? Okay. So I do my best not to talk about books I've read here unless I've fully read them. But because it's been a while, I, I'm going to talk about this one because I'm finally like getting into something again. And it's been kind of a while. So the book is The House is on Fire by Rachel Beanland. It comes out in April. This is historical fiction about a fire in the, I'm going to get the year wrong. I want to say the early 1800s in Richmond, Virginia. I think it's it's based on a real fire. Anyway, it was in a theater and a bunch of people died. This follows four different people who are at the fire and the aftermath of all of that. So I'm maybe 100 pages in. It is so well done. I have not been like into a historical fiction book in a very long time. So it feels nice just to be reading something different. And I think she wrote another book called, I think it's called Florence Adler Swims Forever, which is also historical fiction that was really popular. But anyway, really impressed so far. And I will I will keep you all updated. Well, if none of those wet your whistle. Well, what a gross phrase. Um, <laughs> we do have a February book club pick for you that I'm very excited to announce. So for February, we're going to be reading Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan. It has been since August since we did anything romancy. We've been on a spooky, eerie, thriller, suspense kick. And we need a romance. We need to, we need to, I was going to say lighten the mood, but this book is not light. So <laughs> this book is really interesting. It's a romance unlike anything I've ever read. And this is the book, if you remember a few weeks ago or a month ago, I was talking, saying I'd never seen a book with higher Goodreads ratings. Like, I think this has like a 4.55, like wild how much and how consistently people like this book. So I had to read it. I loved it too. It's a second chance romance about a woman who starts having an affair with her ex-husband who they co-own a restaurant together. It is some of the most steamy, hot, passionate sex, open door sex scenes, a lot of steam, but 
There's also so much more going on. Like you were saying that oftentimes with steamy books, you're only reading for the sex scenes. This has like a very complicated mental health story as well that I think is like really, really rawly and but also beautifully told. A lot of triggers here for pregnancy loss and depression, suicidal ideation. Definitely look up. That's not a comprehensive list. Like, definitely look up triggers for this if you're concerned. But I really like this. Like, if you like the big emotions of a Colleen Hoover or an Emily Henry where it's like, everything is ending type vibes, you know? Like, I think you'll really like this. I'm excited for the discussion we're going to have around this. There's also a really good therapy rep in here. So oh, I'm – you haven't read this yet. I'm very curious to know what you I haven't you think. read this. I'm sitting here just enjoying you talking about it. But yeah, it's going to be fun. It's very sexy. I can't wait. And they, as I said, the couple co-own a restaurant. So there's like a lot of good food talk and like food porn oh. of like the descriptions of the menu and the dishes, which I love. Nice. I love food and books. So – We'll be reading that and discussing that the last week of February. So again, that's Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan. Can't wait. And if you want to join us in the Facebook group, it's Bad on Paper Podcast on Facebook. And I am on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And that's all. See ya. See you next week. <laughs> Olivia's going to live somewhere different next week. I know. I'll be in my own spooky, non-murder we hope house that you know of (laughs) Bye. bye